preaching it today. So open your Bibles, 1 Peter 5, we can bring the PowerPoint up. And I did have notes, but guess what? As a Thanksgiving gift to you, I didn't print them. No, I forgot to... <laughs> <laughs> I forgot to print them, so you don't have to worry about taking notes. If you want to write down things uh, on your bulletin or anything, if you want to take any notes, please feel free to do so, and we're just going to uh, jump into the Word. I, I was thinking this week about life, and, you know, do you ever sometimes just kind of glance over your life, and, and you know, you give thanks for a lot of things, but if you also kind of like wondered why in life there has to be so many battles. Sometimes you just finish a battle in life, a struggle or a trial or, or an uphill climb, and then the next one's right around the corner. Has anyone ever experienced that? Huh? I see, I see that hand. See, we're being real, if, real Pentecostal. If, if we were being totally Pentecostal, I would have heard a big amen right then. Amen. Okay, there we go. Now we're, now we're working. It was funny, I'll tell you a cute story. I was at uh, my daughter's church uh, in Orlando when we went to visit her. I didn't say her name, so no one gets a point. And Sherry's not here to score the points anyway, Dan. So, and, <laughs> and Dan's not even sitting there. Oh, so you don't get a point. But I was visiting my daughter, who you all know her name. And, um, and we went to her church, and her church is a Calvary Chapel. And, and Calvary Chapel started, I mean, Chuck Smith was a four-square pastor. Um, but they, they become, in their, in their worship style, in their service style, they become more, I would say, more of a Bible church than of a, of a charismatic or Pentecostal church. Not all of them, but some of them. And this one was that way. It's a great church. The, the pastor's a great guy. And, uh, and he was teaching ex exegetically through the scriptures, and I loved it. It was a great sermon, and I'm glad my daughter's there. And, and so after, during his message, he goes, now... If, if, we were, if we were Pentecostals and Charismatics, this is where someone would say amen. And so no one said amen. <laughs> and, so, and so after the service, I went up and I shook his hand. I said, hey, I'm really glad to meet you. His name is Juan. I said, Juan, really glad to meet you. That was a great message. I'm glad my daughter is a part of your church. And I said, oh, and by the way, I'm a Pentecostal. <laughs> so I kind of had fun doing that. So anyway, <laughs> wonder why sometimes there are battles in life. One right after another. And sometimes we get weary. Have you ever thought of throwing in the towel? You know, you just sometimes think of Elijah. Think of Elijah after, after facing off the 300 prophets of Baal. And, and, and then God manifesting his presence and, and burning up the Lord's gifts, but the prophets of Baal failed. And then and then he, complete victory over all of the prophets of Baal. And then afterwards, he sits down under a little plant. He gets depressed. And he says, oh, woe is me. I'm the only one faithful in the whole land of Israel. And I just want to die. Elijah, you know, what happened to you? The battles of life. He heard that Jezebel heard what he did on Mount Carmel. And now Jezebel was coming for him. And he goes, oh, no, she's after me again, and she wants to kill me. And he just ran out of steam. I, I just came back from uh, two weeks ago. I had to go to do something that I'd never have done before. And that was that in the company that I work for, you know, most of you know a lot about them. Over the years, I've shared some, some transparent stories. And uh, I don't think they'd mind me sharing this, but 
Um, since the father died, the founder of our company who lived to be 100, uh, now there, there is an estate process of being divided, uh, the estate and, and assets and company being divided. And there is contention now between the family. Uh, so much so that it's become a lawsuit um, from one member of the family to the other three members of the family. And so with the three members of the family who are on the other end of the lawsuit, two of them have joined together. The other one's been doing his own thing, but these are the three people who run the company. The other person has left the company. And they haven't been able to work out anything. And so I went there two weeks ago to mediate between the three brothers um, of this family. And that was all I went there to do. And, and literally, it was from morning till evening, all day Tuesday, all day Wednesday, and all day Thursday. And I went actually thinking that I was going to be able to do something. You know, I, I had a great hope and expectation that, that, that there was going to be a breakthrough. And we started every day. I read from the scriptures. I prayed over them. We had our meeting. We went through three days of meetings. And at the end of that three-day period, um, we were back at square one. I came back. I was exhausted. And fortunately, Pastor Terry preached that Sunday I told him, you got to preach this Sunday, I'm not going to have anything. And that was a wise decision for me. When I came back, it hit me so hard, I didn't even realize it, that I had a panic attack on Monday and I kind of shut down. Um, and and I, just, I just was overwhelmed. It was like accumulated stress just overcame. And I was just kind of like, I, my whole body, my, my emotions, everything just shut down on Monday. And, and I just, I couldn't do anything on, on all day Monday. I share that with you because I want to talk about how we go through these trials of life and, and how do we win them. And, I, and, and it's not through our strength. We don't win it through strength. And we don't win the battles of life through experience. In fact, that's one of the biggest pitfalls that we have when we are facing the battles of life is that we think, well, I've been through that one before. And so we reach into, you ever heard of Felix the cat, the wonderful, wonderful cat? Whenever you got in a fix, he reached into his bag of tricks. For those of you who are too young to know that, just give me a break. <laughs> you can watch it on Tune, on, tune, on uh, what do they call it? Tune. Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah. So... Sometimes we reach into our experience and we pull it out. I know how to handle this and it doesn't work, does it? Because experience alone doesn't lead you through the battles of life. Sometimes you pull from your experience and you do exactly the wrong thing at the wrong time. And so what I want to do is I want to go ahead and, and we've already, this is my long introduction, but the secret to living victoriously through the battles of life is to learn how to live in true humility. Now, in the prayer room, we were talking about that, and it came very clear that there is a difference between false humility and true humility. Let me tell you what false humility is. False hum humility is when you depreciate who you are, what God has gifted you with, the abilities that he's placed in you, 
and your value to him and to others. That's false humility. That's self-depreciation. And God doesn't call you to do that. True humility, though, is when you realize that even with all those things within yourself, you don't have what it takes to get the job done. And we're going to unfold that this morning, unpack that, because that's what I faced two weeks ago. In, in a sense, I had, which I didn't realize it was pride, but there was some sense of pride because I thought that by leading them to the Word, by praying, by doing all these things, that I was going to lead them to a breakthrough. And when it didn't happen, it just knocked all the wind out of my sails. So, I want to start with 1 Peter 5, and I want to first start with the first few verses, verses 1 to 6, and the first thing I want to say is humility is a two-way street. And Peter begins his closing words from his pen. He addresses the church. And so let's look at the scriptures. It says, 1 Peter 1 through 3, Therefore I appeal to the elders among you as, fellow, as a fellow elder and witness of Messiah's sufferings, and a partaker also of the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd the flock among you. Watch over it, not under compulsion, but willingly before God. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Don't lord it over those apportioned to you, but become examples to the flock. The first thing Peter says is he addresses the pastors, the elders. In the Bible, the word elder, the word bishop, is used interchangeably for those who shepherded the local congregation. So he talks to the leaders in the local congregation. And he says, leaders, listen, I appeal to you. But notice how he appeals to them. He doesn't appeal to them as the great apostle Peter. He could have done that. He said, okay, under-shepherds, I'm the great rock. You know, Peter, the rock, you know, the one that Jesus said, hey, you're the rock. And on this, I'll build my church. Well, that's not the translation of that scripture. I'm just joking with that. That's kind of the Catholic translation, but it's not the biblical translation. But he says, he, says, he could have said, I'm the great apostle Peter. You need to listen to me. I'm one of the 12. I walked with Jesus. You didn't walk with Jesus. So if anybody knows what you should do, it's me. He doesn't. He says, I appeal to you, elders, as a fellow elder. See, he put the, himself on the same level. And he says, not only am I a fellow elder, but I'm a witness of Messiah's sufferings and a partaker also of the glory that is about to reveal. The same glory that you're going to have. The same glory that God is giving you. This is what I want you to do. I want you to shepherd God's flock. Notice it doesn't say, it doesn't say um, just teach God's flock. It says shepherd God's flock. I realize that in all the years that I've been teaching and preaching, that I can, I can give you the best presentation or the worst presentation, albeit how it comes out on a given morning, and that doesn't change anything in your life unless the Holy Spirit ignites that word with his presence. But more importantly than what I say is how I live. And if I don't live what I say, then what I say means nothing. And so all of my life, I've tried to live by this principle that I'm not called to teach you, I'm called to be an example of what it means to struggle through this life by grace. 
And it is a struggle, folks. It's not a piece of cake. Some of you, we've walked through, and, and Terry and Tracy, you've gone through a great, great struggle in your lives. And God's brought you through, and there's still remaining bits of that struggle you're walking through. And I've walked with so many of you through such great struggles in your life. And the way that we do it is not, we don't, it's not by giving a simple, a simple scripture or, or, or just, you know, by saying a, a, a canned prayer. But it's by walking with each other. It's by living as Christ-like as we can through all of these difficult duties. A pastor's duty is to be out of love, a willingness to serve, and to be an example to the flock. The word there in the Greek means the mark of a stroke or a blow. I like that because life gives us strokes and blows. And, and if you've ever, you know, I, I was just cleaning the windows in my house. I thought, ooh, they're kind of dirty. And if people come in to look at my house, I should have clean windows, <laughs> at least where they can see. I didn't clean them all. Okay, shh, don't tell anybody. So I cleaned all the ones that, you know, you're going to see right away. And I was out there, and, and I, I was climbing through the bushes, trying to clean these windows, and, and, and uh, all of a sudden... Karen looked at me this morning. She said, do the cats scratch you all up on your legs? Because my cats do this kind of stuff, by the way. I've got marks on my arm. Um, you say, why don't you shoot them? Because we love them. Anyway, <laughs> I just had to answer your question. Some of you are already thinking that. You know, I, I'm just telling you why we don't shoot them. <laughs> and so I said, no, that wasn't the cats. That was me in the bushes. You see, I was struggling in the bushes, and it left a mark. It left an imprint. And you see, when we go through struggles in life, it leaves a mark, it leaves an imprint. And that's what God says. He says He comforts us with the comfort that we receive so we can go and comfort others with the same comfort that we have, that we can go and show them our marks, our imprints, so they can know that they're not alone, and they can feel those marks and imprints and find comfort. Do you understand what I'm saying? But... It's a two-way street. In verses 4 to 5, it says, When the chief shepherd appears, you'll receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you younger ones, submit yourselves to the elders. Say, well, that's just okay, so I'm not a younger one, and I'm not an elder, so I don't have to submit. Oh, wait a minute. It says, and all of you. <laughs> oh, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. For God opposes, opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Now the reward of the under-shepherd in this life is not what he gets in this life. I know sometimes you'll look at a TV evangelist and that doesn't seem to make sense. It almost looks like they're getting their reward today. The reward that we get for serving the Lord in life is the unfading crown of glory. But humility isn't just the call of the elders serving the congregation or serving the brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the call of each one of us serving one another. And that's what I love about this church. I, I looked at the word humility, and there are two words. One is the word to be humble, but the other, this word humility is, is, I didn't write, even write it down. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it in the Greek because it's like this long. 
So, you know, I just said, well, I'm just going to write down what Thayer says in his lexicon. And then I'm going to give you my definition. Thayer writes, it means a humble opinion of oneself. Notice that it's not a depreciating opinion. It's not putting yourself down. It's not telling everybody how bad you are or how untalented you are or how you can't do anything. Come on, God says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. But it's an honest opinion of yourself. A deep sense of one's moral littleness. Not moral worthlessness, but all you have to do to realize how little you are is just to stand under one of those big Texas skies when you see the galaxies, when you can see them so clear. And you think about, I'm this person in the midst of billions and billions of stars. Or when you're on a jet, flying at 35,000 feet, and you start to take your descent into the airport, and you look, and the cars are this big. In fact, you can just put your finger like that, and you can cover trucks. And you think, well, those are really big. Then you get down, and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger, and you think, I'm this little thing in the midst of this ocean of humanity. Sometimes that's an honest assessment. So humility is a humble opinion of oneself, an honest opinion of oneself, a deep sense of one's own moral littleness. It's modesty, it's lowliness of mind. And this is my definition of it. Humility is remembering my roots. Remembering my roots. I'm talking about I remember what my life was like before Jesus Christ. I remember what my life was like when I wasn't walking in the grace and in the power of the Holy Spirit. I remember what my life was like when I was bound by anger, when I was a young man lost and hopeless and depressed, when everything else was going good for me on the outside. I had a good job, a good car. I lived in my own apartment. I was only 17 years old. I looked like success to everyone else, but inside I was empty and lost. When I remember that, I remember that the only thing between me and that life is Jesus. And humility is a call for you and I to look at each other and realize that we are not, uh, we haven't arrived. There's none of us who have arrived. Paul, at the end of his ministry, he says, I don't, I don't claim to have arrived. I don't claim to have attained everything for which I have been attained for or laid hold on for. Meaning God is still at work in you. Johnny, you shared that so eloquently in the prayer room. You know, we look in the mirror and, and sometimes we go, who's looking back at us? But when we look into our hearts and we see the work God has done in our lives or we feel the power of His grace